Hola, Leones, and bienvenidos to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, where I am broadcasting from an undisclosed international location. And before I get into today's exclusive interview with Congressman Justin Amash, I want to tell you about another friend of the show. His name is Dan Smots, and he does a whole lot of things. One of those things is, well, he creates graphics, he creates videos uh, through his company, Goulash Films. He actually created the graphic that I used to promote today's episode. But he also does something else. He has his own podcast called The System Is Down. And Dan is also a fellow libertarian, so a lot of libertarian themes do work their way in there. He's also a big fan of uh, Mr. Vermin Supreme, so you hear him talking about that campaign quite a bit. Uh, But Dan gets into all sorts of strange topics, conspiracies, philosophies, religion, uh, all sorts of things, and he comes at things from a very open-minded approach, a very libertarian approach philosophically, you might say. So I highly encourage fans of this program to check out The System Is Down. You can find more by looking it up on your podcast apps. You know how this works, friends. Or check it out over at TSIDpod.com. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty Podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. My guest today is not only a U.S. congressman, he is now the very first Libertarian Party congressman in the history of the United States, and he is currently exploring seeking the Libertarian Party's presidential nomination. Very pleased to welcome back Congressman Justin Amash. Congressman Amash, first thing I have to know is, of course, are you ready to roar? I am. All righty. Well, you certainly are, because you have been roaring a lot lately. Uh, You've been in the media a lot, of course, discussing your move to the Libertarian Party and your potential bid for the presidency. So I just want to kind of start by recapping your thought process over the last year or so since we last spoke on this program. Uh, And at that time, you were still a Republican. You were known, uh, you were, God, there are a lot of uh, articles calling you sort of the loneliest Republican in the GOP. So um, I'm curious, why, when exactly did you decide to leave the GOP? When when did you, when you decided? to do that. Why did you decide to do so as an independent as opposed to joining the Libertarian Party? There had already been rumblings of you potentially running for president even at that time, and you you had mentioned that you were considering that possibility. So I'm just curious why you decided to go independent immediately uh, before just recently now deciding to join the Libertarian Party, become a lifetime member, and seek its presidential nomination. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, first of all. Sure. And uh, at the time, I um, was getting a lot of questions about running for president, but it wasn't something I was thinking about very closely and wasn't something I'd ruled out. So when I said, I'm not ruling it out, people some sometimes went and ran with that. And uh, they, they thought that was maybe political talk for like, uh, well, I haven't ruled it out, but uh, here's what I'm trying to do. Right, you know? But just the way I work in life, I don't rule things out like that. I'm not going to rule out mm-hmm. um, that I'm not going to run for this or that. The only thing I ruled out was running for state attorney general, for example. Like, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that, but, right. but, uh, but, you know, I, I'm open to different uh, different things in life, so I don't want to rule it out. But at the time, I was trying to emphasize the brokenness of the two-party system, and I think that it would have sent the wrong message to just jump into another party. I wanted to make sure that the message was clear that the party system isn't necessary. You don't have to be part of a political party to affect change in this country. And in fact, I think we all want to get to the place where we don't have to worry about political parties, where we're just individuals who run for office and people can vote for us based on the principles we talk about. It's not that hard these days because there's so much access to information that if I don't have a political party, people can still find the information about me. You don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat. Now, I spent some time serving as an independent. It was 
a very successful 10 years serving as an independent. You know, the people in my district really liked it. But ultimately, I think that the change to get to the place where there are hundreds of legislators who are serving as independents is a long process. We're not even close to getting there. People still like to feel like they're part of something. And I think that the Libertarian Party presents an opportunity to offer a strong competitor to the other parties and to actually even supplant the parties as a, as a major party. So I think that going forward in the next decade or so, when we know that there will still be political parties, it's important that these parties are challenged. And hopefully someday in the distant future, we do have, um, and hopefully it's not too distant, that we do have a situation where we don't need these parties, where we can just run as, uh, as individuals but we're just not there yet. How did this idea of uh, trying to seek the Libertarian Party's presidential nomination come up? Obviously, people were asking you about it for the last year plus already, but uh, were there people and activists with inside the party that reached out to you and tried to get you more involved? Uh, was it something that you more sort of just decided on your own? Uh, what, what were the influences when it came to making this final decision to, to jump in the race or to at least explore jumping in the race, uh, depending on, on how we're defining that right now? Yeah, I, well, I certainly heard from people within the party, you know, I mean, people know I'm a libertarian member of Congress and whatever my party label, whether it was Republican or independent, I, I was a very libertarian member. And um, so people had always been reaching out to me and that means activists and also even some officials, but um, just gauging things. Nobody was ever really pressing me like, hey, you've got to come over or anything like that. But people were reaching out and saying, hey, maybe this is a place for you. This could be a home for you. And, um, and so I definitely did give it a lot of consideration over time, but ultimately what made me make the decision right now was I want to affect change. I have uh, a platform to affect change. And I do think the libertarian party is a place that can, uh, serve to challenge the establishment can serve to challenge these two parties. And I want to be a part of that, not just in the near term, but in years to come. I want to grow it into a much larger and stronger party and help candidates all across um, the country down ballot and, um, and, and hopefully in the future support other candidates who are running for president on the libertarian ticket. I want to be able to be a part of all that. I really think it's important that we have a strong competitive party. Now, as of this uh, this recording here, I believe what you still have is is just an exploratory committee. So, can you just define what that means and what would prompt you, I guess, to escalate from exploring the option to uh, maybe definitely seeking the the libertarian nomination? Well, functionally, it just means that there's the word exploratory in the title of the committee. <laughs> but from my perspective, I look at it as uh, a time period where I'm gauging things. I'm spending time meeting with libertarians. Uh, within the party, making sure that I can earn their trust and respect. And I want to earn the nomination of the Libertarian Party. And if I'm able to be the nominee of the party, then I'll go ahead and, and drop exploratory from the title and move forward with a full committee. And, um, and I can serve then as the Libertarian standard bearer at the presidential ticket level. But um, I, I feel like out of respect to people who have been a part of the party, I, I don't want to just jump into it and say, hey, I'm full steam ahead. I want to earn that nomination and earn the respect of the people in the party. 
And I'm sure you heard that is one of the criticisms a lot of people have about you joining so close to, uh, I guess, what was supposed to be the date of deciding the nominee. That's a, a little bit up in the air at this point. It's still still yet to be determined how we're going to decide the nominee. Uh, but that aside, I think it was you know maybe about a month before the originally scheduled convention that you announced this committee. So what do you say to those that say, you know, we, we welcome Justin Amash into the party. We're glad he's here. He's bringing a lot of attention to the Libertarian Party. But he just showed up, you know, a few weeks ago. Meanwhile, many of the Libertarian Party presidential candidates have been um, have been actively campaigning, going to conventions, have been go- doing that for a year. Uh, in the case of Adam Kokesh, for like five years. So what do you say just to that general criticism of people that would say, you know, we're glad you're here, but maybe it's not time for you to be the nominee yet to be running, seeking this office when so many others have been have been working so hard for you know such a long time at this campaign process. Yeah, well, I, I would have entered uh, a while ago. I started to look at it more closely nearer to the beginning of the year in February. And I even paused my congressional campaign to spend time doing that. But then this coronavirus pandemic came up and I had to really focus on my legislative work, focus on my constituents. And I had to really pause um, the idea of seeking this nomination while I worked through it. I, I wanted to make sure that I was able to do it, that I was in a position to do it, and that I thought through um, the ability to run a campaign in this environment. I had to make sure that I, I felt I could win. I don't think you should run for office just for fun or to send a message. You should run because you believe you can win the seat. And sometimes you're still up against long odds, but that's not the point. If you don't have any path to victory, you shouldn't do it. You have to have a path to victory. And there is a path here. And I do want to be a part of this party. And I'm in a position right now where I have influence within the political world, where I am a sitting member of Congress and can make an impact. Um, It's easy to say, well, just run in some other year. Um, I, I may not have the same interest in some other year. We may not have the same situation a few years from now. It may be very much different or things could have spiraled out of control by then. I think that we need to address a lot of these problems now. And I feel like I'm equipped and uniquely equipped right now to address a lot of the problems that are facing us as a, as a government and try to make sure that we are uh, setting up a government that protects people's rights and ensures that people have the maximum amount of liberty. So many, many people who seek the candidacy of the, you know, the Libertarian Party, uh, their presidential nomination, they really do see it as more of an educational campaign, as just a way to spread the ideas through the political system, kind of recognizing that it's very, very difficult, to, I'm sure, which I'm sure you do recognize as well, that it's very difficult for a third party to gain traction uh, and to actually win. But you do, based on what you're saying, you had, you'd actually see a path to victory here. Uh, so what does that path look like? I mean, how do you see yourself, if you were to achieve the nomination, how do you see yourself getting invited to debates uh, in, in a time when, you know, the, the Committee on Presidential Debates is co-owned by the Republicans and Democrats? There's no real reason for them to let anybody else in. And they, they try to generally lock other voices outside of the political process. So what do you see a Justin Amash path to victory looking like? Well, you have to get to about 15 percent to get into the debates. And some of the early polling shows about 5 percent. It's hard to say whether that's accurate or not accurate. It could be higher. It could be lower. Uh, Right now, my name ID, like any candidate, is going to be pretty low compared to the two party candidates. You know, I don't have the name ID of Donald Trump or Joe Biden. But on the other hand, I do have more name ID than most people who would be running on a third party ticket. So that gives me an advantage. I I start with I start with an advantage and I'm going to keep working it for the next few months to grow that name ID, to grow the message. And the message has to be one of liberty. It's about what's wrong with our system, how it's not representing the people, and how people's rights are being violated left and right. And I want to connect all that together. I think it's important to show the world and show the public 
how having a broken system like we have ends up with massive rights violations. And the purpose of government, to the extent you have a government, it exists to protect your rights. And that's what I want to make our government do. I want to make sure that it's there to protect our rights and not do all this other stuff to violate our rights. And right now, also, there's these state governments around the country that are obviously involved in some serious rights violations in many instances. And people are really upset. I think that there is a climate right now that is conducive to a third party, but you have to have the right messenger, someone who can speak to a broad swath of the electorate, but also bring libertarian ideas to them. Uh, Justin, as I'm sure you know, many uh, libertarians within the Libertarian Party anyway feel that they've been burned by the last few Libertarian Party tickets, most notably, I guess most recently, the Gary Johnson Bill Weld ticket. And the pattern seems to have been that people come over for whatever reason from the Republican Party, run on the Libertarian Party ticket, but don't really run a, a quote unquote libertarian campaign per se. I think Bill Weld in particular hardly ever seemed to address many important uh, libertarian issues like the federal reserve, uh, foreign policy, the war on drugs in a, in a remotely satisfying way. So what would you do to assuage mm-hmm. the concerns of people um, of your entry into this race Like, is, is his, who might be concerned that history is repeating itself, that, oh, here we have just another Republican coming over to run a campaign to use the Libertarian Party um, because of the ballot access, because of the fact that they do have entry into the political system. Uh, how do you convince those people, particularly the uh, 1,100 or so delegates that will be deciding the Libertarian Party nominee, that you are here to stay, that you really are here to help build and grow this party regardless of the result and that you're here to really push forward libertarian values through this process. Well, they've seen my record and they don't have to worry about the idea that I'll talk about these issues, the drug war, the Federal Reserve, criminal justice, civil liberties, uh, foreign policy, uh, endless wars. I've talked about all these things and I'll continue to talk about them. They need to be presented in a way that people outside of the Libertarian Party can also connect to. If you present them in a very obscure way or in a way that only resonates with libertarians who really are immersed in these topics, then you're not going to achieve the goal of spreading the message. So you have to present it the right way. And I've served in my uh, congressional district as a libertarian for many years, even though I wasn't an LP member, right? People knew I was libertarian, though. And everywhere I go in the district, if you ask people to describe my philosophy, everyone will tell you libertarian. It's not, it wasn't a secret. I didn't hide from the term and I talked about libertarian things, but I presented in a way that people found acceptable, people found welcoming, people could relate to it um, rather than starting with things that were maybe a little bit out, out of reach for them where they weren't thinking about those issues very closely. So you got to take the issues that are right in front of them, you know, um, drug laws, for example, everyone's thinking about marijuana in the state of Michigan. You got to take the issue that's right in front of them and present it in a libertarian way and explain it to them, or sometimes war uh, policy. There are, there are issues we can connect uh, to the voters directly, and there are other issues that are more difficult. Like if you start talking to them about Austrian economics, it will be very hard to reach people. I mean, you can reach them, and I do sometimes tweet about Austrian economics yeah. or put something out there about Hayek or Bastiat or or uh, Mises or, or someone, but if you are focused all on that, you're not going to reach enough people. So I will be doing all of the things that libertarians want me to do in terms of spreading the libertarian message, but it's going to be done in a way that is uh, approachable to lots of people, that I want people to feel welcome to come into the party. I don't want to scare people away from the party. We, gotta, we have to bring them in and make them realize that they're already libertarians. I want them to be curious. 
about that Austrian economics book. I want them to pick it up on their own and, and read it because they learn about our principles through issues that they already care about. Hey there, Liberty Kitties. Time to take a quick time out to tell you about one of our longtime supporters. His name is Tyler Colford, and he goes by the pseudonym Crypto Man. That's his rapping name. That's right. He is a rapper as well. He does some awesome stuff, and he recently produced a track called Free Ross. And the Ross in question is, of course, Ross Ulbricht, the creator of the Silk Road Marketplace, who was sentenced to two life sentences for creating that marketplace. Yes, it was a black market indeed of all sorts of things, including drugs, consensual transactions, which libertarians are completely in favor of. There were no victims and there were no crimes as far as we're concerned. So please do check out the track Free Ross. It was just released on Friday, March 27th the 35th birthday of Ross Ulbricht. And 100% of the proceeds will go to the Free Ross Foundation, which is uh, helping to free Ross and bring more awareness to his situation. Do check out the links. I will put them all over at lionsofliberty.com slash free Ross for ease of use. You can also pre-order it on Google Play. Again, 100% of the proceeds of this track will be going to help free Ross. Still wonder why there's an overpopulation in the prison system persecuting and crimes from the original victim parents to win time separating children perpetuating crime to a future generation i know personally that what many libertarian party delegates specifically really want to see in uh in the nominee is someone who can really articulate the ideas of libertarianism um really down to the core while doing as you said uh reaching the common person so i mean i guess that's kind of a, a tricky rope to walk where you're trying to uh spread these ideas and especially in your case you have to please the libertarians first you have to get that nomination first before you get that next chance mm-hmm. to sort of get an even bigger platform uh, to really spread the ideas. So w- how do you see kind of balancing that act, um, not act, so to speak, but how do you see sort of putting forward that a hardcore libertarian message that that can resonate people and not scare off the common person? Because I know what a lot of people will say is that, you know, if, if you're not getting the hardcore message out there in the hardcore way that libertarians are used to hearing, they will say, well, you're just watering down the message. So how do you kind of do what you're trying to do here, where you're trying to spread the ideas, trying to get it in front of as many people as possible while not watering down the message, while still getting them the, the pure, correct message along the way? A lot of times it's just about your tone and composure when you're talking about the issues. It's not about um, the specifics of the policy. People are very accepting of a lot of different policies. Like I said, I'm not sure that Austrian economics is immediately relatable to everyone if you just present it like that and you just start talking about Austrian economics. Well, you can't just hand everybody a man economy and state and, uh, and move along. Yeah, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's that easy, but you want people to come to it. You want to present enough of the other aspects of libertarianism where they pick that book up, where they, where they say, hey, I want to I see what else is out there um, because this is interesting to me. So I will go out there and present these issues in a way that people can relate to, people can understand, and they will be um, you know, principled positions that I take. It's not going to be watered down positions. They'll be, they will be principled positions. Libertarians aren't going to agree on 100% of anything. You know, it doesn't matter what I say or what you say or what anyone else says, we're going to have disagreements. In fact, if you look at the Libertarian Party, even the fact that it's broken up into different groups in some sense um, shows that there are disagreements within the party about things. And that's okay. We're going to have those disagreements. There's no party where everyone's going to agree on all the, all the things. It's just not possible. It's, it's totally unrealistic. If you want a group of people who agree with you on everything, you just have to live by yourself. There's, there's no one 
um, who's going to agree 100% with you. I'm married. I have kids. We agree on a lot of things, but we don't agree on everything. And that's just life. And, um, and so we have to just get the message out in a way that is approachable. And I will focus on those principles throughout the campaign. I know early on I've, I've been interviewed and people ask about, can you win and all this kind of stuff. And we haven't been able to focus on the principles and ideas as much as possible. Um, but as the campaign goes on and people stop asking the questions about, can you win? There will be more focus on all these issues. And that's where I think we'll really shine and um, present a, a huge contrast compared to the two major party candidates. About a week or so ago, you mentioned in an interview with the Libertarian Republic, speaking of potential disagreements, that you had not studied the entire Libertarian Party platform. So I'm curious if since that time, have you read the Libertarian Party platform? And are there specific points that you've seen in there on which you disagree? And if so, like, how do you kind of you know, see yourself managing your perhaps deviations from the stated platform into your candidacy, into your campaign? I have studied it. And um, at the time, you know, it was early on in and I hadn't dug into it at all, but, um, and I didn't want to say I studied it carefully when I, I had read it, but I hadn't studied it carefully enough. So I have studied it and spent a lot of time with it now. And I do think that um, my views are aligned with the platform. So I don't have any major disagreements with the platform. I'm pro-life. I know that that will cause some um, concern for some parts of the Libertarian Party, but that's, a, that's an issue that a lot of people are split on within the party. For, for my part, uh, my expectation is the only thing I would have to do as president is perhaps sign uh, appropriations bills that touch on this issue. Because the issue is so controversial between Republicans and Democrats alone, it's never going to get to my desk where um, you have some kind of major change, at least not in the near term. I, I just don't see that happening. I've served in Congress and I haven't seen it in all these years where you get some kind of major policy change. So It'll be about funding, and I there's a lot of agreement, uh, if not 100%, it's probably um, pretty close to not funding abortions through the government, not having the federal government involved in abortion funding. So, um, so I think that's a place where um, where you know there will be some initial concerns, but when you think through the practical approach, it's not going to be a huge difference. I've talked about this um, emergency relief that some people have characterized as UBI. Uh, first, I don't think uh, UBI itself is necessarily not a libertarian issue. There are libertarians who have spoken about UBI, but I'm not advocating for a UBI in this case, because if you're going to put a UBI in place, you'd have to have some major reforms to government. You'd have to uh, overhaul the entire welfare state. I don't think you want to put a UBI in place and also have a massive welfare state. Uh, but as an alternative to the welfare state, it might make more sense. Sure, I mean, I've hosted a, a debate on this very program about that specific issue. If UBI replacing the welfare, welfare state would be more libertarian or a, you know, create a more free society, and it's certainly something that libertarians do debate. Yeah, and and one of the reasons it's not for me as bad as a welfare state is because you just want to get money to the people and get the government out of the way. That's the best way to avoid central planning and avoid control of people's lives. Is it a redistribution? Yes. But everything is redistribution. I mean, taxation and spending itself is a redistribution of, of resources. There's no doubt about that. W whatever taxation system you support, there's some redistribution involved. Whatever spending you support, there's some redistribution involved. There's just no way around that. So I think uh, it's, it's matters of degree, and you have to think about the degree and think about the need. Um, in this case, I think that compared to the $3 trillion that was sent to 
um, banks and sent through a bunch of programs and enhanced unemployment benefits and all the rest, it makes a lot more sense to just give cash payments for a few months. It would have been cheaper, faster, and it's less government control. It gets the government out of the way. So um, is it some kind of utopia? No, it's not a utopia. But in a pandemic and a crisis like this where governments are telling businesses, hey, you can't stay open, um, this might be the most appropriate libertarian response uh, compared to the other responses, which might be something like, well, just let you know the free market handle it and government told people to close down their shops and they're just out of luck. Um, I've heard things like, well, we could have, um, you know, cut their income taxes or cut some other taxes, but that would take a while to work itself in. It, it's not like that would happen overnight. That is a longer process. And it certainly doesn't provide emergency relief to someone who's just been told that they can't operate their business and they have to send their employees home. It doesn't, it doesn't help them in the near term. So, uh, it's not perfect, but the best we can do is minimize the shocks and get the government out of the way as much as possible. Is your real position on this basically like if Congress is going to pass a package, spending a bunch of money to people, it may as well be directly to the people instead of to all these giant corporations, to all these giant programs, these unrelated programs? That's essentially my position because you have to remember we're working with a Congress that is full of Republicans and Democrats. It's not a Congress full of libertarians. Uh, if you had a libertarian Congress, you might take a very different approach to a lot of these issues. You might take a very different approach to how you prepare for a pandemic in advance. Um, you might be more prepared or you might have been, uh, you know, paying in in some other way slowly over time to prepare for it. There, there may have been some other version that libertarians would accept. There may have been a more voluntary approach to prepare for it. There are all sorts of things that a libertarian Congress might have come up with in advance but we're not dealing with that Congress. We have a Congress of Republicans and Democrats, and they're going to spend a lot of money, and the people are going to support it. So if the people are going to support spending the money, you have to do it in the way that is least uh, discriminatory, that has the least government interference, the least kind of manipulation of the market or social engineering. And the best way to do that in this kind of environment is just a cash payment. Well, it does seem like you're pretty aware of some of the criticisms that you're already getting out there from, from other libertarians about some of the things you've been saying in the media. Uh, so just another one I want to bring up. Some libertarians were upset by recent comments that you made when speaking with Jake Tapper on CNN, in which you were critical of armed protesters at the Michigan State Capitol who were protesting stay-at-home orders. And you told Jake Tapper that, uh, I think it's a terrible idea to come into the Capitol bearing weapons, knowing that it might be seen as some sort of intimidation against le legislators. Many libertarians took that as a knock against the Second Amendment or a knock against the protest protesters themselves. So can you clarify those comments, particularly in the in relation to the right to bear arms? Well, it's not a knock against either one. I'm fully supportive of the Second Amendment. I've been a huge gun rights supporter um, throughout my time in Congress. And you can see my voting record on that and, and the statements I've made in the past. In fact, if anything, I've thought that the gun legislation they bring through um, that's coming from the NRA and other groups is uh, too much uh, of a restriction. It's putting the government in too much control of our rights. And, and so I, I've, I've fought against the NRA on some of those issues and, and stood with people like Thomas Massey, the, the chairman of um, the Second Amendment Caucus. So I'm, I'm a founding member of that, and he's the chairman of it. So I've been a, a huge advocate of gun rights. I, of course, support protest 100%. I believe everyone has the right to protest. I believe the vast majority of protest, protesters who came to the Capitol 
were um, peaceful and doing the right thing and behaving appropriately. However, if you come into the Capitol, especially into the Senate gallery, standing above the legislators and you're carrying large arms, it's going to be viewed by those legislators as some kind of intimidation. There's no doubt about that. And I know that people don't like that word, but that's the, that's the reality of it. We can't um, pretend like other people don't have emotions, mm -hmm. that other people don't exist. Whatever rights you exercise, you have to realize that you impact other people with those rights, right or wrong. You can fully have the right to do these things and still have an impact that is not advancing your cause. And just today, the governor came out and said, well, I think that we should do away with allowing guns into the Capitol because people saw what happened and now they're scared. This is exactly the kind of backlash I wanted to avoid because people should have the right to keep and bear arms. But if you do it in a way that maybe scares people, and I know people will say, oh, the point is to scare legislators. I don't think that's a good point to make. We wouldn't be good with um, Antifa or some other group showing up at the Capitol with large weapons and standing above uh, libertarian or conservative legislators. Uh, I think that people would say that that's wrong and they'd be upset about it. So people have the right to do these things. That doesn't mean that they should. And it can push people away from, from your views. And, and that's what I wanted to warn about. And people took one clip out of context. I've, I've been talking about this a lot and I think my position was clear, but um, you know, people take one clip out of context and present it as right. the for you. It sounds like it's not, it's not about a rights issue. It's about more of a marketing issue, how the public is going to see it than whether you're right to do it, which are, yeah, it's things. not, of course I'm a hundred percent for people's rights. I'm a big advocate of open carry. Um, I support people's right to do that in Michigan. I see people open carry all the time and it doesn't bother me in one, one way or another. I, you know, it's not something I'm doing. Um, but it doesn't bother me when people do it. And I believe people have the right to do it. All right, a couple more quick questions that I know uh, Libertarian uh, Party members and Libertarian delegates, uh, of which I am one as well, want to know from you. Uh, one of them is, regardless of the outcome of, of what goes on here, I mean, you, you got into the race pretty late. Uh, we still don't even know how or when the nominee is going to be decided. Regardless of the outcome, uh, even if you don't get the nomination, do you plan to support the Libertarian Party's nominee? Do you plan to support the Libertarian Party, uh, the down-ballot candidates, regardless of what happens in this nomination process? Yes, Absolutely. Um, and it, first of all, I'm a libertarian. I'm a libertarian party member. I'm going to support the libertarian party candidates and the, and the libertarian party nominee. Uh, but even if I weren't, I would support the libertarian party candidates and nominee because <laughs> the Republican and Democratic party parties are broken and their candidates are terrible. So um, especially at the presidential level. So, you know, I'm not supporting those uh, presidential candidates. I know another th uh, thing a lot of libertarians are looking to hear from you. We just started our debate, debate series. We recorded our first of those uh, last night when we're speaking right now. Do you plan to get involved in uh, libertarian debates? We certainly plan to have more here at Alliance of Liberty. Do you plan to debate the other libertarian candidates uh, through this process? Yes. And we've got some debates scheduled coming up and we're going to keep doing that and, and making sure that people get the chance to see me in a debate and I get the chance to address these same issues with the other candidates there. Great, Justin. Well, I know our time is winding down here, but before I let you go, I just want to let you give sort of a, a closing statement, I guess, as if this were a debate for now, uh, why Libertarian Party delegates specifically, because a lot of them are fans of the show, a lot of them are listening to this interview. Why should Libertarian Party delegates uh, look, especially those who may have been supporting other candidates for the last, I mean, there's people who have been supporting Adam Kokesh for five years, people that have been supporting other candidates for the last year, year and a half. Why should those candidates, why should those delegates, I should say, uh, take a look at your campaign and really give a strong consideration 
relation to choosing you, even though you came in so late in this process, uh, to choosing you as a Libertarian Party nominee, as the one to carry that torch and carry that banner of liberty through this 2020 election? Well, first, I love the energy of the uh, Libertarian Party. I love the energy of the various candidates out there. And energy is such a nice way to put it. <laughs> I, I do. I, I love that they're each presenting different aspects of libertarianism. I think that's really important. And we're going to have to come together at the end of this. I think I can be a candidate who brings everyone together. I can, uh, I, my background is in the Austrian economics wing of the, you know, of libertarianism. That's where I come from. That's, that, that's my intellectual influence here. So I bring that in, but my style is more of a moderate, uh, pragmatic approach in a sense. You know, I, I like to uh, talk to people in a way that is approachable. And I think that's really important as a part of politics. I think if we want to grow the Libertarian Party and bring people to us, we have to have that too. So I can merge a lot of this stuff. And I also understand people who come from some of these issues from more of the left side of libertarianism. I, I get that too. And I care a lot about civil rights and and civil liberties and a lot of justice issues. So I can bring people together. And I think it's really important that we do have a unifying candidate, someone who does bring all of the various groups and aspects of libertarianism together. I have experience in Congress over the past nine years. I understand what's broken with the system and, uh, and how to address it and how to address it in a way that is uh, approachable to people because I've been doing it all the time. I've been a libertarian Republican, a libertarian independent, and now a libertarian libertarian. And I've done it with my constituents going and presenting these ideas to them. And, um, and I'm here to stay as part of this party. I want to grow the party. I want it to become a major competitor to the two other parties. And I believe there are millions of Americans who will really like and embrace our ideas if we get the right message out there and, and present it in the right way. So uh, I'm asking for your support. Check out amashforamerica.com and uh, if, you, if you can support me, I'd appreciate it. Well, Congressman, regardless of how, of how this nomination plays out, like I said, we don't even know how the nominee is being decided or when it's being decided at this point because of every, everything going on with coronavirus. But um, it's safe to say that you have a brought a ton of attention to the Libertarian Party that wasn't there before. Uh, you are, as I mentioned, the first Libertarian Party congressman in history, and there is a lot of excitement that has been brought into this race uh, and a lot of attention to it due to your to your entry. So either way, I think it's an exciting time and an exciting thing. So glad to have you here. Glad to have you in the race. And we're looking forward to hearing more from you. So keep up the great work, Congressman Amash. Keep on roaring. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Take care. <laughs> All right, my Liberty Kitty Cats, and I hope you enjoyed my interview with Congressman Justin Amash. Uh, I reached out to his campaign immediately after he announced he was exploring this run and was able to set up this interview. We were not able to get him into the two debates that I had already had scheduled, but I am uh, in plans, potentially. I don't know, because now it's only, I think, 11 days away or something like that uh, to do one more debate. I am working on kind of the criteria for that. Of course, we hosted one debate last week, last Wednesday night. That one has already dropped into the podcast feed, so go back and check that out. That's Lions of Liberty LP POTUS debate number one. The second one occurred on Friday, and that one will be dropping in this podcast feed tomorrow. So you got Congressman Amash here sandwiched between 12 other candidates uh, de detailing their positions and their reasons for wanting to become the uh, the torchbearer of the Libertarian Party in 2020. Again, uh, I, I'm not making any promises, but I am going to put forth efforts to host one final debate with a much smaller field. I'm just trying to come up with the fairest criteria for determining that field, and I'm hoping to have Amash as a part of that uh, because I think he will probably meet whatever objective criteria uh, I come up with because, you know, let's face it, he's got a huge social media following. Uh, he has money for the campaign. He has relevance, and he's going to be considered a top-tier candidate until we 
settle this thing one way or another. Uh, I hope that Amash gets challenged. I hope that he challenges a lot of people. There's nothing I love more than debate and debate not just on the libertarian philosophy, but how to apply them to our society, how to message those ideas, how to change people into libertarians because because that is the mission of this podcast. That is the mission of, at least it should be the mission of ultimately the Libertarian Party and the Liberty Movement as a whole. And uh, if you enjoy this programming, if you enjoy the content you're getting here, you can support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. We are still supporting DonorC in their efforts to help people around the world uh, in the battle, not just against coronavirus, but against all the economic fallout as a result of lockdowns, supply chain issues, and that sort of thing, which if you think it hits the first world hard, my gosh, let me tell you, it's destroying people in the third world. And the good news is that even just a few dollars can really, really help people. So we have been contributing 10% of our Patreon earnings to our friends at DonorC. You can check out the projects they are doing for coronavirus over at DonorC.com slash coronavirus, or you can support them somewhat indirectly by first supporting us again over at Patreon at Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. You can join the Lions of Liberty Pride, get access to all sorts of bonus exclusive audio content, live streams, early access to certain interviews like this one. Our friends in the Pride got access to this interview uh, on Thursday of last week, immediately after it was recorded, and I got a lot of positive feedback already. But whether your feedback is positive or negative, I always want to hear it. You can express yourself in our public forum, the Lions of Liberty Forum. I shouldn't say public. It is a private group, but we let pretty much everybody in. Just uh, look up Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook for that one. And then we, of course, have the very super secret, ultra secret uh, Lions of Liberty Pride group for our supporters on Patreon. Uh, Regardless of what you think, we want to hear from you, though. You can also email me directly, Mark, M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com. And if you missed last week's debate, debate number two, which took place on Friday night, check it out in this very podcast feed tomorrow. We had a heck of a time doing it. It featured Adam Kokesh, Daniel Taxationist Theft, Berman, Arvin Vora, John Mons Jr., at least for a good portion of the show, Sam Robb, and the always entertaining, making his return to the Lions of Liberty podcast after a couple of years, the uh, enigmatic, so, so to speak, John McAfee. And um, we, we, me and him have something in common. We're both broadcasting from undisclosed locations uh, internationally. So (laughs) stay tuned for that exciting debate tomorrow and stay tuned for everything we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. Of course, you have Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermatt is going to wrap things up as he does every single week with his hard hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. Until next time, kiddos, live long and live free.